some praise for the music ministry on this day. Special thanks to Mrs. Stacy Clater Howard. Let's give God some praise for her solo with us on this day. Amen. Thank you so much, musicians. Thank you for ushering us into the presence of he who has risen on this morning. Would you join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 20? John's Gospel, chapter 20. And I want to read verses 26 through 29. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. Verses 26 through 29. Amen. Gospel of John, chapter 20. And beginning at verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here. Hear your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. Whenever a complicated equation or a complicated paragraph of information has been posed, nothing is more helpful than the presentation of a simplistic story that helps bring clarity to that which at the moment is housed with confusion. Stories, I want to contend this morning, are style and substance of life they fashion and fill our entire existence, whether from our youthful dreams to our season experience, from a resounding discourse to whispered intimacy, the narrative mode of speech constantly prevails. Whether it's told by way of myth or whether it's told by way of a parable, whether it's told by an epic or a tale or history or even confession, even by way of biography, the story still seems to help us gain clarity on what might be difficult to ascertain. If without stories we live not, then stories live not without us. 
without the participation stories is just a gathering of words but they do not come to life unless there's the presence of life within. A text alone, just the mere written of a text is really just mute and ineffectual. But instead, storytelling is a Trinitarian act that unites the writer, that unites the text and the reader in a college of understanding. The three participants are inseparable, they are interdependent, and in the tale, they tell the story, and all of us connected become the lifeline, blood-driven matter in the story. When I read this story in John's Gospel, chapter 20, and I come away with the suggestion by Thomas that I don't understand really why everyone is making so much of the resurrection and because they tell the story, they really believe I should celebrate in the same manner. Their story is not my story. And because we may see the story different, we really have to understand that people celebrate the particularities of a story because the story says something particular to them. You might find something to celebrate in the story that I don't find appealing at all, and it could be vice versa, but the reality is we are involved in the story because the story has a lesson to convey unto us. This Resurrection Sunday day, I've given title to this story, The Wounded Healer. And I call Jesus the Wounded Healer, borrowing from Henry Nouwen, the great mystic poet who identifies Jesus in his woundedness on Calvary and observing that the scars to which Jesus gained never changes even after the resurrection. He is in return, not just the wounded individual on Friday, but he becomes the wounded healer on Sunday morning. Father Leo is a crouchy old Catholic priest in what is now a defunct TV show called Nothing Sacred, and he had a very serious problem. He's having doubts about one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and that is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. For a very long time, Father Leo doubts keep him out of the pulpit. His doubts cause him not to return back to the pulpit to preach the gospel. But finally, he stands one Sunday before the congregation and begins to share with them with his struggle. And he says this, I quote, I just can't understand why if God were going to raise his son from the dead, he left those five gaping wounds. Leo says, if God were going to make Jesus alive again, why not heal him? If he were my son, I would heal him completely. 
Leo's question has a certain plausibility. Why would God overcome death but leave the scar that caused this death so plainly visible? Why must Jesus enter everlasting life eternally, bearing the wounds of the life on earth, the nail marks in his hands and feet, the scar from the spear that pierced his side, all plainly visible for everyone to see. This morning we hear the story of another man who really had doubts about the resurrection. Thomas is not there on Easter night when Jesus suddenly appears in the locked room, as we have read, where the rest of the disciples are huddled in fear, wondering if the authorities who killed Jesus were out to get them next. Thomas bears his friend's fantastic story, listens to it, that Jesus has arisen from the dead, hears them claim that they have seen him with their own eyes. But Thomas is not buying the story. Thomas said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I am not going to believe. And within one week, Thomas gets his chance. The disciples, including Thomas, are once again together in the house when Jesus suddenly appears and trumpets those life-changing words of fear be unto you. But in doing so, Jesus then <coughs> turned his eyes, I believe, directly and looked at Thomas and said, come closely. Put your finger here and see my hands. He tells his friend, reach out your hand and put it in my side. But don't do it with a spirit of doubt. Do it believing what you are doing. I underscore that again. Don't do it with a spirit of doubt. But do it believing in what you are doing. And it's not until Thomas puts his hands in the wounds that he now knows that Jesus is alive. Now remember, he was already alive and had appeared unto the other disciples. But for Thomas, he was not alive until I first can touch the scars in his hands and can touch the wound in his side until I can first visibly witness with my own eyes the wounds that he suffered on the cross, then I know that he is indeed alive. And says the scripture, when Thomas touched them, he then drew back declaring, my Lord and my God. It was the wounds of the wounded healer that proved to Thomas that Jesus was alive forevermore. Now the question is, 
And this is what I wrestle with, and I'm not going to keep it long because I think this sermon and the story of Thomas is almost self-explanatory. Why does God raise Jesus from the dead? And as Thomas wants to declare, or mainly as the priest declared, why did God not heal the wounds so that when we see him, we don't see the wounds that he suffered, but we see a whole Christ as if nothing had ever happened to him. In fact, you and I can testify that when we pray for healing, we pray that God would completely heal us as if there is no memory of the, he of the, of the wound left at all. In fact, we want the healing to depict that nothing has ever happened here before. In fact, the only somebody who knows that there has been a wound in us is us. But when people look at us, we want them to see us as whole, as if we've never had a problem, as if we've never been hurt, as if we've never been wounded, as if our spirits have never been sore, as if our life has never been turned upside down, as if our hearts have never been broken, as if our bodies have never been pierced with illness. We want to look like a complete package of wholeness to anyone who witnesses our presence. And isn't it amazing that when God brings Jesus out from the grave, he does not sew up and totally wipe away the wounds in his hands or the wound in his brow or the wound in his side or the wounds in his feet. Instead, he left visible scars because I think God knew that there would be some who would be ready and anticipating to see him when he returned and would have no regard or no question about the scars at all. But he also knew there would be some in the person of Thomas who needed further evidence, who needed to see that this really was Jesus. In fact, if there not had been any wounds at all, if they was totally wiped out, then Thomas very well could have been left without salvation, arguing that I don't believe that's Jesus because he looks like any other man. But when Jesus appears in the presence of all of their confusion and says, peace be unto you, and then looks directly at Thomas and tells Thomas, come closer. And put your hands right here, put your fingers right here in my hands where they pierce me on the heel. Put your hand right here in the side where the soldier pierced me with his spear. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. For the wounds had proved to Thomas that the risen Jesus was real. I want to say a couple of things for you and then I'm done. One, I really believe that God doesn't remove our scars from the wounds that we encounter 
because I'm convinced that God wants to touch the wounds personally himself. Watch this. That is why I think God did not fix Jesus the way that we thought because the scars followed him into eternity. The wounded Christ came to say peace unto you, but he invites us to feel his wounds and to touch his scars. And in doing so, Christ also touches the wounded places in each of our lives. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. We can sit in worship and look as adoring as we desire. We can make a presentation to convince people with our demeanor that we are the perfect example of health. We can paint the picture before anyone who encounters us that we've never seen pain before and that we've never had a broken moment in our life and that we've never had a challenge and here it is and that there are no scars underneath our clothes because we have just been healed that well. But I want to argue with you this morning. I don't know you, ain't never seen you, particularly without your clothes, but I can guarantee you, underneath all of our clothes, there's a scar. So watch this. It may not be a visible scar, but there's a scar on the inside of your heart and a scar on your mind and a wound in your soul that after being wounded by life and being wounded by somebody and being wounded by, in fact, I got a gut feeling that there's somebody sitting here this morning, you fresh out of a wounded relationship and you fresh out of a wounded job and you fresh out of a wounded journey and you fresh out of a wounded fight and we may not I can see it but if we would look at the scar on the inside of you as your heart pulsates we can see the blood pumping to that wound but I'm so glad that Jesus said when I got up on Sunday morning I brought my scars with me so I can identify with you with your scars and that's why there's some living witnesses in the house this morning I can identify with you pastor I've got a broken heart I've had a broken mind I've had a broken spirit I got some wounds on the inside of me this morning that I serve a savior who that when he got up he got up with me and although I'm wounded he touches my wounds every single time because he walks with me and he talks with me and he reassures me that you might be wounded but I want you to know I let you get wounded so I can touch your wounds I know I know you want to sit here this morning and act like you got it all together, but you know like I know you don't have it all together. You got some deep wounds that you don't want anybody to know about except God. And that might be the right direction to take at the moment because we are not all the time wounded healers. Because wounded people often try to wound others because that's the way for us to think that others can feel our pain. But Jesus said, let me save you a whole lot of work. 
I already know how you feel because I got wounds in my hand and in my side. I know what it means to be betrayed. I know what it means for people to sit at your table with their feet under your table and at the same time sending a text about you, talking about you, and degrading. Jesus says, I know. Jesus says, I've been there when they walk right alongside you and at the same time stabbing you in the back. Jesus says, I know what it means to have someone wound your heart. But he says, I didn't wipe away the scar because I wanted you to know that I will personally come and touch that scar. And whether we want to admit it or not, none of us will go through this life unscarred. We will get some sort of scar in one way or the other. It may not be a scar on the body, but we'll have some emotional scars and some spiritual scars. How do you know that, Pastor? We will all at some point in time probably have some scars or some wounds of loneliness and loss. We will all at some point in time have some wounds of rejection and despair. We will have some wounds of failure and fear. And what's amazing is we are reluctant to show anyone else our wounds. Because we don't want anybody to know that we've been wounded. Unlike the risen Christ who openly invites us to touch his scarred and wounded body, we hide our imperfections, pretending that we are whole, even if we are slowly bleeding to death. We'd rather pretend than to cry out that God would send us a wounded healer. The wounded Christ shows us that we must not deny our own wounds. In fact, Christ comes to us and shows us how the Savior does not wait until we are perfect to meet us. That's why I'm so glad that God doesn't require that I get all my ducks in a row and that I get myself together and that I'm living a perfect holy life before he comes to me. He comes to us where we are and where he finds us is where he begins to work surgery to heal the wounds in us and the scars are there. Here's the first point I want to tell you. The scars are there. They are left to remind us that there's a story behind the scar. And everybody else, every one of us this morning got a story behind our star. Our challenge is, are we willing to tell the story that somebody else might recognize they are not the only one who's been wounded in the journey? I like the movie Regarding Harry. Regarding Harry was a movie in which Harry Ford played a successful lawyer whose life takes a tragic turn when he is shot in the head during a robbery. He physically recovers from the brush with death, but his emotional and his mental recoveries are extremely slow. 
Henry remembers little about his past life. In fact, his young daughter, Rachel, has to reintroduce herself to him. The father and the daughter who were once close are now like strangers because the father has been wounded in a robbery. He is hesitant and unsure as to how now do I act around this person who's really my daughter. In fact, one day Rachel is showing her father some family pictures and trying to explain to him the people and the events as to how these pictures came about. And suddenly she is silent, staring at her father's forehead and notice a jagged scar across the forehead. And Henry meets her gaze as she's looking at him. Then wordlessly, he takes his daughter's hand and guides it across the scar on his forehead. Silently, slowly, softly, she caresses the wound. Then Rachel wordlessly takes her father's hand and guides it to her ankle. A raged scar, the result of a bicycle accident when she was a child, her father no longer remembers, but twists its way around her leg with his hands. And then silently, slowly, and softly, he caresses the wound. Watch this. And in that moment, the father and daughter are no longer strangers in touching each other's wounds, they have now entered into each other's lives. Their wounds tell us who they are, and then they prove to each other that both of us are alive because we have wounds that identify with one another. It's not only an individual person who is wounded, but notice something strange about this text. It's the community who's wounded as well, not just individually, but community carry scars. Says Paul, you are the body of Christ to the Corinthian church. The wounds that are born in Christ's body are also born in the body of Christ. And I'm always amazed how as church people, we are always trying to find a church body that don't have any wounds. We run from church to church. When we get wounded in one church, we run to another church thinking that that church doesn't have any wounded people in it at all. In fact, I would argue, if you go to a church and there are no wounded people there, you might want to turn around and go right back out because the very moment that you depict that you have been wounded in life, you might not be welcome in that perfect setting. And I would argue again, 
If you are in a church and there are no wounded people, you might want to check whether you are in eternity or somewhere else because in this life, you're going to find in every single church some wounded people, some more visible than others, but everybody in that congregation got some wounds somehow and that congregation has suffered some wounds itself because wounded individuals make up community of wounded people. So when you get mad, you get hurt here, stop running to another church. Ain't gonna do you no good. Even when you go there and you don't get wounded yourself, trust me, there's somebody else there who's already wounded. And they themselves are trying to understand how do we survive from being wounded. Tell you what I know about the wounded community. The wounds of the church, as I said before, have constantly been consistent. In fact, we now suffer from wounds of accusation of heresy and unfaithfulness, wounds caused by fights over who should be allowed in our churches. We are fighting now and being wounded because there are certain people in certain factions that we don't want in our church because they will complicate our life and make it more. You ain't got to get quiet. I know I'm on your street. Don't get quiet. But listen to this, Patricia, Patricia Templeton was an Anglican priest who was the pastor of an Episcopalian church in Nashville and she was deeply wounded by a tornado that struck Nashville. Their 116 year old church with its Tiffany stained glass windows placed on the National Historical Register is now reduced to rubble, a gaping hole in its side. Her and her husband now stands before the church along with other members and friends who see the wounds with their own eyes. What was once a 116 year historical standing is now gone. It's just a pile of rubble, and they are now witnessing with their eyes. They can put their hands in the pierced side of the body of Christ, the building. Put their hands right in there. Come out with nothing but rubble. And they realized that. In fact, they stood there and looking in total disbelief with Tears. In fact, the pulpit from which she preached her first sermon, this happens to have been the church she grew up in, is now gone. It's gone because the tornado created a wound in the life of this church community. The spot where she knelt to be ordained as a deacon is now gone. Of course, None of us would think that we can identify with what she's saying. But what we are forced to do is to listen to what Thomas says in the text. Thomas says that I now know what it means to have scars. And if Easter loses its thrust to identify the scar because what Jesus did 
on Sunday, God moved him from the scar of the heel to the grace of healing on Sunday morning. And by doing that, we now walk in resurrection power because we got scars all on us. Scars not only tell a story, but scars give us strength. When we look at the scars that we have acquired in life, there is something about them that gives us strength to endure when there appears to be another wounding moment. Rather than to throw in the towel, we get strong. We get strengthened by remembering that scar and what God did to bring us victory in that scarful moment. But scars not only tell stories and stars not only give us strength, but scars and wounds tell us about a wounded Savior. A Savior who identifies with your scars. And I'm just so glad this morning that, yep, I got scars you can't see. You got scars I can't see. We got scars we don't see. But in the midst of all of those scars comes a wounded healer who has set us down in a surgical place to bring us back to wholeness. And Jesus, in being a resurrected Lord with scars, knows exactly how many sutures to put in the scar that the wound might start to come back together and heal. He knows that if the scar is deep enough and you might need some sort of anesthesia to make sure that you don't feel all of the impact of the pain in healing, he knows just how much to administer. And that's not well enough. God knows by being the Savior just how to dress and to constantly pay attention to the wounds that I have in my body. He is so adoring to the point as a chief physician that he doesn't allow me to allow the scar to get the best of me. In fact, that scar just lets me know that I got a savior, that when I am wounded to the worst, he sits with me. He converses with me. He does surgery on me. He puts me back together again. When Thomas said, my Lord and my God, Thomas said, oh, I know for a fact now, you got scars. But because I was able to touch your scars, now I realize I got some scars. And Jesus says, Thomas, because you have put your hands here and touched it, you believe that that's fine. Watch this. That worked for you. But blessed are those who believe and have never seen my scars. 
And I just came to tell you, stop being critical of people whose story is not your story and whose story don't look like your story and whose understanding of God might be different than your understanding of God. What you don't know is they have scars like you have scars and the God of their salvation has addressed their scars and brought about healing in their life. So there are some people, I'm done, there are some people who would argue that my God is a healer because they recognize in the sickbed he's been a healer. There are others who never had physical sickness but they had emotional challenges. And they talk about Jesus as the wounded healer who can heal their emotions. There are others who never had emotional problems but they've had mental comprehensive problems. But they talk about Jesus as the God who can fix and regulate your mind. Then there are other people who have problems of just being faithful. And they talk about the God who will take you in your unfaithfulness and still love you in spite of what you're doing in the presence of God. I'm talking about a wounded healer who doesn't require me to have to run around the church to enjoy the celebrative nature of who he is just to think about getting up on Sunday morning victorious with the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side and then to realize he left those scars there to remind me that he touches my scars where they are and if that's not enough, Jesus remained scarred so that he could remind me that all wounds have a Friday. But it's up to you if you're going to have a Sunday morning. All wounds got a Friday. Somehow they were inflicted in your life. But I'm here to tell you, it's up to you. If you're going to stay there hanging on the cross of your wounds, or if you're going to allow yourself to be buried and then in return to arise to the newness of life, that you might walk away healed from the scars that you got at Calvary. I want to challenge you not to take your cross away if you came this morning with one heavy on your back, don't take it back with you. Leave it here at the hill called Calvary. And when you leave it there, God will supply all that you need to walk out of this place a changed, renewed person in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen closely to what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. What was their testimony the other disciples was their testimony. But now that Thomas had a chance to see and witness a touch of Jesus himself, he becomes my Lord and my God. You can't run off of my story. You can't run off of my testimony. You got to meet the wounded healer for yourself. And when you do that, 
No one can change your story. Because when they talk about Jesus, you can only reminisce when you look at the scars in your life, how he has helped heal the wounds that you've encountered. You want to know what the joy is? You haven't seen the last of him. Because somewhere on this journey, there's going to be another wounded moment. But it's all right. It's all right to know when you get wounded. The worst thing is, is to get wounded and don't know how you can get healed. But I know how I'm going to get healed. I have a wounded healer. And he knows how to heal me. 